For many people in the world, this time of the year is typically one of religious and secular celebration. Christmas is one of the most important holidays in the Christian calendar. Other traditions celebrate Hanukkah, Bodhi, Kwanzaa, Panchaganapti, or New Year's, and the winter solstice. The shift from winter to spring, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, seems to inspire a sense of renewal and hope. With the pandemic raging, and the numbers of infected and dying rising all around the world, I wonder about how religion and religious beliefs impact how we respond. Is a pandemic God's will? Does that mean there's nothing we could or should try to do about it? Does organized religion and the institutions of religion have a role to play? Is COVID, as some believe, the hallmark of the apocalypse? I'm Dr. Stahl Rosenthal, a developmental and clinical health psychologist, and this is Life in the Time of Corona. Welcome to episode 17 of Life in the Time of Corona. Our guest today is Reverend Stacy Swain, the senior pastor of the Union Church in Wabun, Massachusetts. Stacy came to ordain ministry in the United Church of Christ after working for more than 20 years in the field of public health with poor and disadvantaged populations. She received a BA in English literature from Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota, a master's of public health with concentration in epidemiology from the School of Public Health at Boston University, and a master's of divinity from Andover Newton Theological School, where she graduated with distinction and received the Award for Excellence in Biblical Studies. With her background in public health, I think Reverend Swain is a perfect person to talk with about how religion and religious institutions can play a role in this pandemic and our own ongoing response to it. Stacy, welcome to Life in the Time of Corona. Thanks for having me. So one of the first questions I've been asking everybody who comes onto the podcast is about the changes you're going through. So what are some of the biggest changes you've been making in response to the pandemic? Well, like so many of your listeners, I am sure, I am finding that I am spending the majority of my time in my house. <laughs> I have taken over my son's old bedroom and have made it my home office. And the biggest change for me is having most of my interactions now with my congregation uh, through Zoom or on the telephone. Can you say a little bit more about what church looks like these days for you? Well, we've always said in our congregation that the church is not just the building. The church is, at its essence, the people. And, um, and so we continue to believe that that's true. So the, the church looks like the people. But a big factor in what it is to be church is to gather together. And, of course, since mid-March, uh, we have not been able to do that here in our congregation. Um, and so what church has looked like since March is um, us gathering together on Sunday morning on Zoom where we've made some changes to our worship service together for sure, but try to worship as, as we would when we were in person. And then outside of Sunday morning, um, church again looks like doing the work of the church and the programming and the learning and the sharing of the church, primarily virtually. What role, if you do, if you will, what role does religion have in how we respond to this pandemic or even how we think about it? 
Well, the root of the word religion, religio, means to reconnect, to rebind. And I think that in this time there of social distancing, physical distancing, where people are feeling so isolated and alone, I think that um, religion has a really important role to play in helping people feel connected to each other and to a greater sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. I think it is uh, a time of reckoning um, for for me and for our um, our church in the sense of really getting clear about what is the essence of who we are and how we want to be with each other. And, um, and I think it can provide a place of belonging and um, a place of cohesion in a time that is so disrupted and so disorienting. The, the idea of reckoning, the idea of connection to each other and maybe even to ourselves, uh, to beliefs, in lots of different ways that's come up again and again when I'm talking with people, regardless of their backgrounds, uh, in this podcast, but also just in my my day-to-day life. I, I wonder, can you say more about how belief, particularly belief in the divine, can really help us with that, help us reckon, reconcile with what's going on uh, and reconcile with all the things we have to reconcile with anyway within the context of what's going on? How, how can we do that? I guess it's been a shift for me in seeing church not so much as a place where we have to get our beliefs right. We have to believe in a certain way. We have to follow a certain doctrine. We have to we have to assent to um, a certain ordering of the way things are. To much more of an exper- experiential nature of what it is to be connected to one another and to God. And so I I do think that this is a time, as you're saying, that so much of our structures have been um, kind of thrown up into the air and we're not able to use them in the way of ordering our lives anymore. And so we have this weird spaciousness now to really kind of grapple with the big questions about who are we and how are we to be and what is our purpose? And in my my way of seeing the world and and seeing the sacred is that our essential identity is not what we do or necessarily what we believe. Our essential identity is to be beloved of God. And that in that essential connection to our own goodness, and we find the possibility of connecting to the inherent goodness of other people and in and tapping into the the inherent goodness of of creation. And that if that becomes our primary orientation, then that is one that is I can I find very empowering and hope-filled. And I think that that is a a shift in this time that perhaps is making itself known in new ways. That's that's um so filled with so many great ideas. I I want to try to unpack it a little bit. You talk about a shift from this idea of the church providing direction, providing the structure of belief, maybe, to something that's more experiential, connecting us or connecting uh, the congregation, if you will, to the inherent goodness in ourselves and inherent goodness in each other. And that, that experience, that shift to the experiential 
reflects that being beloved of God. That seems like a more dynamic understanding of religion than maybe it, it was for you or a pre-pandemic. I, I'm, I think that it's been part of my um, evolution as a faith, person of faith over my life. I think that, you know, I used to have maybe growing up in Sunday school in the church, you know, I used to have that image of God being the, the white bearded man on a cloud somewhere watching and judging about whether one person was do or whether we were, I was doing what I was supposed to do. And oftentimes as a kind of an angry figure, um, being frustrated with how poorly we as humans are running the world. And I think that there's been an evolution for me to think about the divine as much more being a, a impulse of an energy, a flow of, of goodness and creativity, of healing and a generative unfolding that is at work in the world. And that when we live in alignment with that generative unfolding, that energy and that source and that shorthand for me, I call love can rise within us as well. And we then can be taken up in that same, in that same energy and love and um, creative unfolding to as, you know, theologian Carter Haywood once put it, be co-creators with God in bringing about the healing and the restoration of the world. And so it is a shift to a more dynamic experiential conception of the divine that I have uh, moved in my, in my own life of faith. Obviously, you're articulating one sense of what faith is and the role religion can play, and there's such a huge variation in that. I hate to try to generalize and, and try not to, but mm -hmm. it, it makes me think about the contradictions we seem to have in this pandemic in terms of how we understand it, how we understand its origin, how we understand how to manage it, how we understand how to act ourselves within it. it. It seems driven by many different truths, if you will. Mm -hmm. When I think about religion and its role in the pandemic, I do wonder about those contradictions and, and how to reconcile those. If we, if we start with some belief that the divine is, as you put it, an impulse of the flow of good, and, and while that may be somewhat specific to, to your understanding and to the religion, the religious practices you follow, I think that it's probably fair to say there's some variant of that belief that the divine is in some way good in, in most religions. How, how do we reconcile that with what also appear to be very contradictory and at least superficially not so good reactions we have or beliefs we have about this pandemic, whether we're talking about where it came from or what we do about it. If I understand your question, I th I think that I th I think there can be an impulse within religion if 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 one has the conception that I I spoke of earlier about having the divine be sort of have created the world and then had sort of withdrawn from the world in order to watch it from afar and judge it, that that conception of the divine can, we can, within that, we can, we can often see 
or we can tend to interpret the events that happen around us as as being uh, that God is responsible for them. So is God punishing us by sending this pandemic to us? And I, 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 with, you know, all due respect with, and as you said, there's a wide, you know, there's a wide understanding of who we are and what the divine is and how we understand suffering and um, innocent suffering and, uh, and suffering in general. And this is, so again, I'm, I'm grateful that you're qualifying that, that this is a conversation with me and I'm not speaking for, um, not necessarily even for my congregation, but just for me as a person of faith. But my understanding, what I understand and what I see in the life of, of Jesus is that God does not cause our suffering, but that God is very much present within the suffering that we experience. And that God is not, doesn't use suffering to test us or teach us, but that God um, is at work within suffering in order to redeem us and, and, and renew us. And in the Christian tradition, we see that really emblematic in the life of Jesus, where I don't believe that God um, sent Jesus into the world in order to be crucified, but that in bringing love into the world, love was confronted with the powers of hate that attempted to uh, snuff out love once and for all, and that the Christian story is is one of redemption, that 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 love is power, more powerful than even uh, the worst that we can throw at each other. And so I, I believe that God is not responsible for the pandemic, but that God is at work within those places of suffering to, again, call us into places of alignment with love so that, you know, we can um, draw close <laughs> to each other emotionally and intellectually, if not physically, to find our way out of this time and to hopefully have learned and grown and evolved through what we've experienced together. So that notion of God's role is not necessarily one that the pandemic is God's will, although I don't think that necessarily contradicts it. Where you, you seem to be placing the emphasis is on the role of God and God's love in in terms of how we are given the conditions that we are facing. Yeah, and for me, I, I again, I think God wills only goodness. And there's this wonderful place in the Gospel of John, which is the, the Christian scriptures, um, one of the gospel writers. And in it, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Um, and he said, you know, I came so that you may know my joy and so that my joy may be made complete in you. And I, so I don't, I don't think that God wills suffering at all. I think that my biggest question, if I ever get to have a, a, a one-on-one with the divine will be like, why is being human so hard? You know, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why, why is it so, do we have wars and pandemics and, you know, because I don't, like I said, I don't believe that God is the author of of that suffering. But there's, you know, there's something about the human condition. But I do think, as I said, I do think that that God is at, that God loves the world. That God is not on the far side of the universe watching things devolve, but is actively at work in and through us. And that that's the impulse of God. That's the generative impulse of God. The the God of redemption. The God that 
brought the people out of uh, slavery to Pharaoh and and um, and and delivered the people to a land flowing with milk and honey, to use another seminal story in the Hebrew scriptures. Well, that question of why is being human so hard seems so universal, and to to me drives both what you do and what I do, or drives people to what you do and what I do. Is that the question then? Why is, it not, is the question not what is God's role in what's happening as much as why is it so hard to deal with what's happening? I, I think I, I would lift up a third question, which would be, what are we to do? And, and I, I think that 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 to me is a question that can be answered. And that's where I think, you know, that faith and religion can be helpful in that we humans are narrative creatures. And the, the, we in religion, we link ourselves, we connect ourselves to this larger story um, so that our lives are not just our individual chaotic lives of unfolding in ways that, you know, that they unfold but that our, our, the narrative of our lives are set within this larger narrative of God's story. And so then what are we to do becomes, yeah, what are we to do in terms of how are we going to get the kids schooled and how are we going to keep our job and how are we going to do all the, meet the challenges of our day? Yes. And how are we to live as um, God's beloved children in the world in which we are living right now? And how can we look back and see the great stories of our ancestors and learn from them how they met the challenges of their day? How can we draw on uh, the depth of the spiritual practices that have capacitated people across all the world religions to step more faithfully into the challenges that are present? So it becomes for me not so much like, why is this happening or what are we going to do about it, but how are we going to live faithfully? through the challenges of our day. So transforming the question why to the question how. Mm -hmm. That does sound a lot like what I do as well, by the way. <laughs> it's the, the, the joke every, if you ask a shrink a question, you get a, three questions back or something. Yeah. So that, 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 that really does though open, the, uh, open up to me, well, what can religion do or, or what can religion do in terms of helping us decide what to do? So. Obviously, again, within the many different beliefs and many different views, religion often plays a role in social functioning. Large groups of people look to religion and to the religious institutions to show them how to behave, not only as, as individuals, but also how to behave as a society. So I do wonder about the role that religious institution might play in our response to the pandemic. Well, one of the things that I, I see, well, not I think is very apparent, um, is that we have a lot of division in our world right now, in our nation right now, um, not just in our politics, but in, you know, we just have all sorts of things that are pitting us one against another right now. And I think one of the roles that faith communities hopefully could play, and I know that the, the divisions are Within, uh, within religious traditions as well, for sure. But I would love to be able to see people of faith, um, communities, to be able to articulate this larger narrative 
that is moves us out of this sort of binary opposition about, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, to really shift the lens that um, and widen the lens, perhaps, to say that, you know, our essential before, you know, before we're Republican or Democrat or before we're this or that, you know, we are human beings. And in the faith tradition, we are beloved of God. That's our first and primary identity. And so out of that primary identity, then can we, can we step forward? And a lot of the, the world traditions, we have this in, in Christianity, you know, this, the great commandment, it's pretty simple. And the great commandment is, you know, you shall love your Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's really, that's the, that's the blueprint, love God, love neighbor. And there's this, there's this wonderful teaching of the Desert Fathers, which were early first century followers of the Jesus movement who went to the deserts in Egypt. And there was one, I think it's the Desert Father, I think it's Anthony, I'm not sure. But he, he teaches this by saying, like, if you imagine yourself on a wheel that has spokes that goes to a central hub, and that all the people of the world are on the rim of the wheel at, at the point where the spoke attaches to the wheel. And if God is at the center of the wheel, which is the hub, that if we seek a life where we are trying to draw close to God, if we move down that spoke of the wheel, we will inadvertently move closer to each other. And if we are trying to move close to each other by moving down the spoke of that wheel, we will also inadvertently move closer to God. So love of God and love of neighbor, I mean, that that as we live into that great teaching, again, we draw close to each other and in doing so are capacitated um, by the power and presence of God to be able to meet the challenges that we face and realizes that what you know that our essential identity is greater than that which divides us. So I would hope I, I would I would love for faith for people to be able to turn to the great teachings of the world religions, particularly perhaps in the in the sort of mystical branches of those teachings to to find a way to to find a way through the challenges that that really divide us today. And that sounds like something that shifting away from the binary idea of right and wrong and, and more to the, the notion that bringing us closer to God brings us closer to each other. It sounds like an issue that you've been thinking about for, for a long time. And in this moment of pandemic, this moment of crisis, I also think about crisis as the idea of a time of both danger and opportunity. And, and again, many people on this podcast have, have talked about that. To me, a point of danger is often a time when people hunker down. And a time of opportunity, I, I think of as a time when people come together, you know, move away from where they're comfortable to kind of go into new directions, which I think is what you're, you've been hoping for. And it may be that this pandemic is that opportunity to start shifting away from a binary and to really uh, look to the faith communities to bring us closer together. I guess I, I, I'm asking you to put 
to more overtly put on your public health hat for a sec and just think a little bit about or, or talk a little bit about how faith communities can do that pragmatically. Are there things that the uh, religious institutions can do to help bring us together? Or are there things that you see are going on now, particularly related to the pandemic that are bringing us together? And, and partly I ask that because it, it, to me, it just seems like the evolution of, of what you've been discussing. Partly I bring it together because I don't, in my own position, I, I, I'm not that connected to religious communities. I wonder about the role that religious communities can play because they are so potentially and often actually powerful as a social force. This seems like a terrific opportunity for them to act in that strength. So what, what can be done or what do you see happening? Well, one of the things that I think is, is part of this that I think religious communities can offer, and not just religious communities, but I think what's present in the pandemic is, is that th- there is, I, I think in order to, to step into the, in a, in a generative way and not to hunker down, as you were saying, in a time of crisis, there has to be the capacity to tolerate the unknowing and to be comfortable moving ahead without knowing exactly where it is that one is going. That is a, that's a deep groove within the religious traditions. I mean, there is story after story about people stepping out into places of unknowing, trusting that God is going to be in the mix and that the steps forward are going to um, make themselves apparent. I mean, I can, sh- I can share just a quick story with you about uh, sort of how I think the best of public health does this as well. And I think that we're, we've, we're seeing this in, in, um, our, in our communities as they respond to the uh, COVID right now in so many creative ways. But I, I can give you one concrete story early on in my formation when I was working with Boston Public, um, Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program. At the time, I was the director of the family team, and I late in the day on a Friday, um, a family came into the office looking for some shelter. And it was, I knew that the Department of Transitional Assistance was not going to be open. This person was in desperate need. I felt, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I didn't know what to do. I felt like there was absolutely no situation, no solution to this problem. And I just wanted to go into my office and, sh- and shut the door. And my boss, Barry Bach, who's now the, the executive director of Boston Healthcare for the Homeless Program, um, at the time, he, uh, he, he, he saw me um, as I was sort of standing in my doorway, sort of contemplating the situation. I must have had this terrible look on my face. And he asked me what was wrong. And I, and I told him, I was like, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know what, we're, what to do. This is like, there's no, there's no way, there's, there's no way here. And he said to me, he said, you know, Stacy, just because you don't know how things are going to turn out is never a reason not to begin. And that is really, that impulse has really stayed with me. And it, it takes courage, it takes trust, it takes community to be able to step into the unknown with a sense of potential. What is it that we're going to discover here? How is this going to come together? There's got to be a way forward. We just don't know what it is yet. So I see that in in that lesson of getting creative and not, you know, not just 
turning back to what it is that we once knew, but what is it that this time can can bring forward if we come together with courage and trust and community and a deep sense of love and collaboration? I'm not sure that answered your question. I, I, th- I think it does. Of course, every question raises so many more. Yeah. And it, it's something that I feel like I could actually talk with you uh, about all day and and probably even end up debating some of the, the points. But what I think you're, you're saying, what I think the message here is that re- religion and religious institutions, they can almost provide us with a beacon during this pandemic, it, it, not necessarily as a way of understanding the why about what's happening, but as a way to keep focused on the divine as an impulse for good that can guide our response. And maybe even as a way to help us tolerate the difficulty of the uncertainty of these times and of what we can do to make these times better, to move towards that opportunity and away from that hunkering down mentality that it does seem so many of us fall into. Yeah, I think that's well said. And I I would say that Part of part of that for me is the inherent potentiality of all things, that there's no moment is complete and completely exhausted, that there is this sense of, you know, in the in the opening Genesis story in the Hebrew scriptures, God calls forth, you know, let there, you know, let there be light and calls forth the potentiality that is inherent within matter. And and I think that that for me, that's a very powerful way of seeing things that that there that there can be a way where there seems like no way at all and that that potentiality is called forth when we are in loving relationship with each other in the world you know that that sense of again what i had said before about sort of being in alignment with that energy and that flow um and so i think it is it, it is it's a guy it's a beacon for sure but i think it's also a companion that is you know bonhoeffer said once that you know that that our in his book a life together he said can we look in the and again in the he was christian pastor can we when we look at another person can we look at and see the christ filling the space between us and another person and it's that presence of the divine that then it, um, helps almost to midwife the potentiality that exists in the moment and within people coming together with courage and compassion. As we begin to wrap wrap up the conversation, there are some one thing questions that I like to ask. So w- what is one thing that people should take away from this conversation? I would like people to take away from this conversation a word of hope that in you know, and you had started in your introduction to say this, you know, this is the time in the Christian tradition where we celebrate and remember the birth of Jesus. And Jesus came not in the center of things, not in in a well-ordered world, not um, after Mary had a wonderful baby shower and the room was all decorated. Jesus came on the margins in an unexpected place and the people who were witness to it were probably those who least expected to, to be there. And for me, that gives hope that, that the divine is at work in the world. If we continue to be expectant and to bring our compassion and care to ourselves, each other, and the world, then 
hopefully we too will encounter the Christ that's all alive and moving. What is one thing that you're doing to take care of yourself? I have, I think we talked earlier about this as a time of sort of reckoning, and um, I'm getting pretty clear about that I need to get outside and move my body every day. I live um, my backyard. I'm, I'm so fortunate is the Arnold Arboretum here in Roslindale. And I find that going for a walk every day moves whatever stress I have <laughs> seated in my body, moves that, um, and, but also helps me reconnect with the natural world, which as the Franciscans say, you know, is the first manifestation of God, you know, so just to be out in nature. That's really an important way that I'm taking care of myself. And again, so many people on this podcast have talked about nature and getting outside as a way of trying to take care of themselves. Finally, what, what is one thing that you think the coronavirus experience has changed forever? That in my world, it's changed that, um, that church, you know, is, is that we can, um, that we will always, I think in, in our church community now have some way to, to connect virtually that just because you're home recovering from something or you're, it's snowing and you can't get to the building and, or whatever reason, um, will no longer be a reason not to be connected to the community that when we're back together in the sanctuary, We'll continue. We will continue to have some sort of way to make sure that no one is um, is is left out if if they can't be there in, in person. So, religion and religious beliefs can serve both as a beacon and companion during these difficult times, even when the world and our lives seem so uncertain and so dark. There is always hope. This is life in the time of Corona. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Please rate the show and leave comments. Follow me on social media at Dr. Saul Rosenthal. That's Dr. Saul Rosenthal. And absolutely, please contact me with feedback or your own stories of the pandemic at inthetimepodcast at gmail.com. I'm hoping to put together an episode made up of your stories, struggles, trials, and victories. So reach out to me at inthetimepodcast at gmail.com. Reverend Stacy Swain brings years of public health and ministerial experience to her role as senior pastor of the Union Church in Wabin, Massachusetts. She served there for 11 years. Stacy, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a privilege. Thank you for having me. And thank you, listeners. I look forward to continuing the conversation on life in the time of Corona. Mm-hmm.